0: Welcome to the Craft to Career Podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of.
1: Welcome to episode 19 of the Craft to Career Podcast. I'm really excited to introduce Sarah Ruiz. She is our guest this week. She is a NASA engineer by day and a quilterpreneur by night. And I really wanted to have her on the show because a lot of you have a full-time job doing something besides your creative business or creative dream. And so I wanted to bring someone on the show to just pick their brain to see how they do all of the things. What is it like to juggle having a full-time job and a crafty career? But before we jump in and I introduce you to Sarah, I'm going to read this week's review and it comes from great hair and thread company. So on Instagram, it's at great hair and thread co. And she says, I feel like this podcast was made just for me. I love, and I'm so grateful for Elizabeth's perspective and her passion for sharing and connecting. Anyone who has a creative business will get so much helpful information and encouragement from this podcast. Thanks so much for this review. I really do love and appreciate the reviews. If you are enjoying this podcast, go ahead and leave a review. Each week I like to share one of those reviews and give a shout out for those of you who take the time to do that. So thank you so much. And now let's jump in and let me introduce you to Sarah Ruiz. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the Craft to Career podcast. I am super excited to have you. I've known you for years now you are one of my personal tech editors and like lifesavers when it comes to writing patterns (laughs) but you're also a NASA engineer which is freaking awesome and so I wanted to have you on the podcast to kind of address having a full-time career in in the corporate world and also having a career a side creative career specifically in the quilting world so can you just tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a NASA engineer and and to have this quilting thing on the side?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, first of all, thank you for having me. It's fun to join you. Um, but yeah, so I have, I do, I have a corporate, uh, it's government, you know, NASA is a government agency, so it's not technically not corporate, I guess. But yeah, I have a full-time day job. Um, as an aerospace engineer uh, at the Johnson Space Center here in Houston. It's the only, quote, real job I've ever had. I started working here in college, um, and I've been here ever since, although in a lot of different roles. Um, The Space Center is very comparable to like a college campus, so there's a lot of different programs and different things to work on. but yeah, so I mean, that's been my day job for 20 plus years now. Like I said, I started in college um, and I started quilting about 10 years ago. And at first it was very much just a hobby. Um, I've always had creative interests. I've alternately over the years been into web design and photography and graphic design um, and all sorts of crafting both as a kid and as an adult. And so quilting fit really naturally in that. And when I started out, it was very much just a hobby. Um, But as uh, I got more and more into it, I started, you know, designing my own patterns for my own personal use and then thought, hey, maybe I could turn this into a pattern that someone else could make. Um, and then eventually moved over into the other side that you mentioned. So tech editing and graphic design, and I do some pattern ghostwriting, um, kind of a mix of a lot of different services for other pattern designers, as well as writing my own. And so I do that quote on the side I guess you can call it a side hustle or or whatever term you want to use I kind of personally hate that side hustle term but it is what it is Um, so I have my my day job and then I do my quilting um, around that and around my family as well so nights and weekends pretty much
1: so I, I am curious I have tried to picture what a day looks like for you because I don't know how you do it all so like how do you do it all?
0: <laughs> so my stock answer for that is pretty much that I watch very little TV and I don't sleep nearly as much as I should, which is funny, but also somewhat true. <laughs> uh, but really, you know, I just, I, I'm an active person. Um, I, I'm very much like, I think my mom is in that way. I always like to be doing something and I don't sit still very often. Um, and so it fits in well, you know, before quilting, there were other things uh, that I always did to, to fill my time. And so quilting has kind of slotted into that spot. Um, so, you know, my kids are still young, they go to bed fairly early. And so I usually have an hour or two in the, the evenings. And then um, I have time on weekends as well. I also work a is, I have flexible hours. Uh, you know, I have a standard schedule, but I do have flexible work hours. In particular, we work or we have the option to work what they call a 980 where you you get your 80 hours for the two week pay period in nine days. And so essentially what that means is I have every other Friday um usually is a free day where i've already, you know, put in my time um and my kids are in school or at daycare and so i have, you know, at least one day every couple weeks that's usually just my day and so i do a lot of my quilting stuff on that day as well
1: so you don't i mean do you ever like sit back and watch netflix or something
0: not very often
1: <laughs> I, I really you, don't when you treat yourself when you think of like I need a break. What does a break look like for you?
0: Um, Probably either going to bed early or reading a book, um, going for a walk or a run, uh, something like that. I I do watch a little bit of TV. My husband and I will watch something together. Um, I'm a baseball fan, so I watch the Astros uh, when I can, or at least have the Astros game on in the background sometimes. So I do watch a little TV, but not much.
1: Yeah. Okay. With people that you work with, these engineer minds, is there a lot of crossover with how artistic? Like the fact, I didn't know that you did like graphic design, photography. Is it common to see people who have this mesh of the left and the right brain like that?
0: I think it is somewhat common, although you don't always hear about it. Um, it, It's been interesting over the years with people that I um, work with who one day I'll be talking to them after working with them for months or years. And it turns out that they're a great, um, you know, artist. There, there's a guy I'm thinking of that I had been working with for years and I had no idea that he does these amazing pencil drawings. Like he could, you know, he could probably be an artist if he wanted to instead of an engineer. Um, but he just does it as a hobby. And so I think there's a lot of people that that, that have a little bit of both. There's also, to be fair, a lot of, people that are kind of your stereotypical engineers. But um, I do think there's a lot of people that that have other creative interests. You know, engineering is a lot about um, thought process and problem solving and, and tackling challenges. And there's definitely parallels between that uh, and what a lot of us who do more creative activities do as well. And so, you know, I do think it meshes pretty well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And but I am appreciative of people like you where math comes very, I, I would say it comes easy for you. Am I right?
0: It, it does. And quilt math, especially, um, I, I know there are plenty of quilters that get intimidated by the math, but for better or for worse, when you've had multiple years of engineering college education, um, the math and quilting is fairly straightforward. You know, it's mostly addition, subtraction, some geometry um, and so, uh, somebody with the math background that I have is is not going to be too troubled by it. And I really enjoy um, that aspect of it. That's what I, I think enticed me into coming up with some of my own patterns in the first place. Was the the fun of figuring out the puzzle of I want to make it look like this how do I put it together how big do the pieces need to be how many pieces do I need to cut oh I have to add seam allowance oh how much fabric do I need all those things are really that's almost the most fun part of quilting is all the planning ahead of time before I even start to sew
1: which I am really appreciative so in the quilt pattern writing course I had you as a guest to come Mm -hmm. and because how dare I try to teach someone about quilt math when I don't do a whole ton of it. I hire you, you know, to help with it. So I'm like, Sarah, come in and talk with it. And it really does like excite you and energize you, which is a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. that I'm It does. <laughs> I admit it. I love it. <laughs> and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you do. So I love that, you know, that you love math and you love being a tech editor for quilters. How did you start your career as a tech
0: editor? How did this happen for you? Um, It was a little bit of... Just happenstance, to be honest. So, I've mentioned that I had started designing some of my own patterns um, and had a growing relationship at the time with Craftsy. Now, this was Craftsy of like 2016 ish, and it's undergone a couple changes since then, (laughs) but this is like old school original Craftsy. Um, And I had been working with them to turn a couple of my patterns uh, into kits and to write a couple patterns for them. And uh, they sent out an email one day to what must have been just a, you know, pattern designer and editor uh, distribution list. And they mentioned um, needing or or having a bunch of patterns that needed tech editing. And I kind of on a whim threw myself out there. And I said, well, I could tech edit patterns. Um, You know, I I have pattern writing experience. Um, I'm very good at math. I'm very detail oriented. Um, I actually in college uh, worked on my college newspaper so I had some editing experience that's uh, you know that's a little different than a quilt pattern, but it's still editing experience. And so to their um, credit, they took me up on it and sent me a couple patterns to tech edit. And from there it kind of built slowly. Um, I did not I didn't go super hot and heavy trying to to, to build the, the tech editing side, but I would occasionally see a pattern designer on Instagram or on Facebook mention needing someone. And when I saw that, I would occasionally send a message saying, hey, you know, I can, I, I could help you out, let me know. Um, and just a quick description of my services. And not everybody took me up on it, but a couple people did. And once that started, um it, it, the ball kind of started to, to gather steam, um, I guess. You know, I get a lot of references these days from word of mouth. Um, I, I have several clients from your pattern writing course uh, that I now edit for. And so, you know, once you've got several people and, and quilt pattern designers, a lot of them kind of know each other and will, will ask questions. Um, in particular, there's a Facebook group for quilt pattern designers that I think you and I are both in, as well as a lot of other uh, people. And so your name gets passed around. And so so it really built um, just from word of mouth by that point. And so at this point, I have, oh, I haven't counted, probably somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 different pattern designers that I work with. And they'll just send me their patterns when they have one ready. Um, and I'll give it an edit and get it back to them. And then I get to see it go out into the world and lots of people make it, um, which is a lot of fun.
1: Have you ever designed, not designed, have you ever edited a pattern that you're like, I've got to make this one and you don't need to say specific which one it is, but have you done that before where you're like, oh, this one's good.
0: That happens pretty often, actually. There's a lot of them that I see that I'm like, oh, I love this quilt. I really need to make it. Um, I'm not sure I have made Right. right. Any of them because time is a limited resource, right? But yeah, there's quite a few that come across my desk that that I just think are really, you know, some of them are simple, but just have a lot of impact. Some of them are more complex and just really fun to tech at it because I get to see how the other pattern designer figured out how to put it together. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's quite a few that I would make if I had infinite time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is fun to see That's one thing about having a creative business with let's say quilting that you kind of do give up a few things and some of those are creating all of the other designs you know when you're writing your own quilt patterns. But I love that I don't know if like scrappy is the right word but just kind of that assertiveness of putting yourself out there when Craftsy said we're looking for a tech editor for you to have that confidence to say, I'll do it, you know, and to reach out to people on Instagram when they're saying, oh, I'm looking for a tech editor. I need this to throw yourself out there. That's a huge, scary thing. Was that intimidating for you or were you like, nah, either way, take it or leave it?
0: Um, pretty much the second, you know, I figured there's no harm in sending a message if they ignore me or if they say no, thanks, you know, no harm done. Um, no, no sweat. Um, but if they take me up on it, then obviously that's a good thing. And I was I was admittedly very confident in my abilities to, to do a good edit of the pattern. I knew that I was going to be able to provide them with solid feedback. Um, and so when you're confident in your abilities to do that, it makes it easy to offer those services. But you know, when you were asking the question, I couldn't help but think, and this is probably a topic we could talk for hours, but... Quilting versus engineering. Um, my engineering job is very much based on skills and qualifications. And if you want to go apply to a job, they want to know what degree do you have? What software do you know? What experiences have you had? What teams have you led? Um, and quilting is very much a contrast to that. I think there's a much lower, um, bar to entry into the quilting industry and there's pros and cons associated with that that we could probably talk all day Um, but you know there's a much low barrier to entry so you can write a pattern and put it out there and be successful Um, you know I can offer tech editing services and put it out there and be successful now if my edits were crap I probably wouldn't have gotten very far so I'm going to take that as a sign that they're good
1: Yeah. Well, and this is an interesting topic. In fact, I have an episode in the podcast where I talk about to the naysayers. So on this topic, there is some chit chat in the quilting community about there's too many quilt pattern designers out there, which is a very interesting topic. And my curiosity is I don't know why people care because you just don't have to buy it. Like if that's not your thing, just don't buy it. And I feel like foot traffic Um, like you said, anyone can throw it out there. You know, anyone can put a pattern out there. If it's not good, it's not going to stick around, you know? And so the quality will speak for itself over time. And if your stuff's not sticking, then you're either going to have to leave or figure out how to up your quality. Same with the tech editor. Anyone can go out there and say, I'll, I'll tech at it, you know, but if you're not good, it's not going to stick around, you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? And maybe that's too heated up a topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I feel pretty similarly to you. Um, I, I've had discussions with several other pattern designers, you know, maybe that's one of the, I think one of the big cons to the low barrier to entry, to entry into the quilting industry is that you can have a lot of patterns out there. A lot of them might not be very good. And that makes it hard for the consumer to weed through. You know, it makes the consumer uneasy. Like if I'm going to spend $12 for this pattern, how do I know that it's good? Maybe I'll just go over here and get a free pattern instead, because there's a gazillion free patterns in the industry, which is yet another topic we could talk about. Um, But I very much agree that I think if, a pattern designer comes in and they write a pattern and it's not good or people don't like the design or what have you, then it's not going to be successful. And like you said, they're going to have to go back and either um, up their skills or think of new designs. Um, and so there may be a lot of pattern designers out there, but I think it's the same thing you said, like they're not going to stick around if they're not putting out a good product that, that people want and enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're an Orophil artisan. What like what is that? How did you come about that? Tell tell me a little bit more about that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I am an RFL artisan. I uh, became part of that program last year in 2020 and continued it into this year. So this is a program that RFL Thread runs. There's a lot of companies within the sewing industry and quilting industry that have these same kind of ambassador programs. Um, And so I had used RFL Thread for many years already Um, And had seen this program had seen some of my friends work in this program and decided it would be something fun for me to try I had never had any relationships um, with any companies had never done any of those ambassador type programs before. And so um, I applied. And to be totally honest, I had applied a couple times and been turned down uh, before last year. And so I applied again. Uh, I almost didn't even apply in 2020 because I said, oh, I get turned down again. So there's a lesson learned for everyone to just keep trying. Um, but yeah, I was selected for their, this program. Uh, it's it's pretty casual and easygoing. Uh, we work together. They provide me with great thread and I use that awesome thread to make projects. They have challenges um, that they ask us to, to do over the course of the year. And then, I, of course, I use the thread for all of my personal projects um, as well. It's been a really fun way for me to push my boundaries with quilting. Before this, I had pretty much just used their 50 weight all the time, which is the the standard piecing thread. Um, But over the last year and a half, I've gotten to experiment with a lot of different weights. They have, you know, 40 weight, 28 weight, 12 weight, heavier weight. Um, I've started doing some hand quilting in the last year, and the 12 weight is really great for that. And then on the flip side, they have a really thin one, an 80 weight thread that I've been using for hand applique lately. And that's really fun, too. So it's been a good way for me to experiment, um, try some new projects and, and also get to continue using the thread that I already liked. And then on the flip side, you know, RFL gets to use the projects that I make um, for their marketing purposes. And so it's kind of a, a relationship that benefits both of us. And it's been it's been fun to work with them so far.
1: Yeah. So that was much more of like a passion thing. That was not a career like, this would be really great for my career to work with them. It was like, this is something that would be so fun to be a part of.
0: I mean, I guess it was a little bit of both. Like, yes, I thought this is going to be really fun to do. I've enjoyed what I've seen the RFL artisans in the past do, and I think I would fit in well with the group. And then, of course, there's a little bit of a business decision there as well. They're using my projects to market their thread, but that also kind of increases my reach Um, not for things like tech editing that we've talked about but I do design and write my own patterns and so it, it, it gets those out into a wider audience as well so it's kind of marketing on both sides for them and for me
1: yeah so how successful has your quilt pattern writing been I am so intrigued like is there ever a part of you that would leave NASA engineer which I'm like no way you can't
0: do that but I don't know would you want to do that so I was just on vacation with my family last week and my sister says, so are you going to go be a quilter now? <laughs> um, it's a valid question. I mean, uh, let's be totally honest. Uh, an engineer's salary is quite a bit higher than I think most people in the quilt industry probably make. And so that's a consideration, but it is something that I think about. Um, I've been at NASA for a long time. Um, you know, maybe at some point uh, I will decide to take on a second career, um, and I think the combination of the type of things I do right now, between pattern writing and tech editing and design services, could lend itself pretty well to that. Um, particularly if I had more hours to do it. So it, it's something that I think about it. I have zero plans to to make any changes immediately, um, but maybe down the road we'll see. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as your demand goes up, you can raise your prices and then it becomes a bigger option, I guess, for you.
0: That uh, is true. I recently raised my um, tech editing rate for the first time and I was a little nervous about how that would go. And it's it's gone very well. No one No one complained and several people said, oh, great, that sounds fine. So I'll take that as a good sign. I am curious with,
1: okay, you have a quilt pattern. You, I think, I don't know, every year it seems like you submit to QuiltCon. Am I right? Like you have things that are there.
0: I do. I've submitted to QuiltCon for the last, I guess, four years. I think the first time I submitted was 2018. So, yeah, um, I do. I, I, I submit to QuiltCon um, every year. I have submitted to a couple other shows along the way as well. But QuiltCon is the primary one as the you know the the prime modern quilting show um but that's also a goal of mine you know I I have a goal to have at least a couple quilts that are that are good solid quilt con contenders um every year and yeah I've been fortunate to have at least one uh piece juried in each of the last four years so hopefully that streak will continue next year in Phoenix yeah I mean, it's fun. I mean, and it's a big deal
1: now that I have submitted to QuiltCon myself. I'm like, that's that's no small feat to get multiple quilts accepted. And you did, I want to say it was your first time around, you won an award at QuiltCon.
0: I did. I won an award in my very, my very first one. Um, I won first place in the fabric challenge category that year. Um, that year it was sponsored by Michael Miller Fabrics and That was, I chalk it up to beginner's luck. I have not won any awards since, probably never will again, but I will absolutely take it. Um, That made my first quilt con a really, really, really fun experience.
1: Yeah, that is cool. So with your quilt patterns, are they pretty successful? Do you have one that's been like, well, that's my best seller?
0: Uh, How is that for you? Um, Yeah, it's been it has met the goals that I had for it, which are admittedly fairly modest. Um, but yeah, my, my pattern business has continued to grow. It's grown quite a bit in the last year. And to be totally blunt, I think that's related to um, Instagram following. I gained quite a, quite a few Instagram followers over the last year and a half due to a 100-day project I did last year making fabric postcards. And so you know, a little bit larger audience does translate into a little more sales. Um, but I do have some patterns that are more popular than others. Uh, by far the best seller at the moment is my modular maze pattern, which was first published as part of your quilters candy membership. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it has gone on to, to sell a, a lot of copies. I've made the quilt a couple times, um, in vastly different colorways And so I think that has helped people see the different options, um, the different things that they can do with the quilt. Uh, And so that's definitely my bestseller at the moment. The latest version of it is actually going to be in the International Quilt Festival this fall. So that's Uh, exciting.
1: Yeah, that's like, it's a stunning, I'm going to put a note to put um, a link to that in the show notes because it's, it's a beautiful, cool design. One that when I look at it, I'm like, hold on, how, how does one do that? You know, so I'm going to, if people are wanting to see that they can go to the show notes and see that quilt pattern there. So one thing that I do really like and actually encourage other people to kind of think about is one, look at what you're good at. You're very confident with your math and your editing skills you've had, you know, in college, you were editing a newspaper So people who maybe love Pinterest or they love Instagram or they love whatever it might be to find ways to make that a business. Like, I don't know about you. Would you ever hire someone? What let's, let's play this game. If you were to hire someone to help you in the quilting realm, what would you be looking
0: for? The first thing that comes to mind for me is photography. Um, I And I mentioned that, you know, I was into photography at one point in the past, but I am still very far from a, a, you know, professional photographer. I can take decent pictures of my quilts, but um, I know they could be better. They could be a lot better styled. I often don't take the time to even go find a nice location or anything like that. And so photography would be a huge thing um, that I would love to have some help with. And I know that's out there. Um, uh, it's just something I have would need to go find
1: playing that game more. What would be appealing to you with a quilt photography? Like what would you want the ideal? Like if it looked like this, I would hire them, you know,
0: I don't know if I have that specific of a vision, but the type of images I would be looking for would be the ones that I could use in a pattern. Um, you know, like a, a really nice cover shot um, of, you know, flat shot of the quilt for the front, some sort of nice styled shot to put on the back cover, um, those kinds of things. And then, you know, the a good solid flat shot that I could use for, you know, show entries as well when I'm doing that. And then just some fun images to use on social media, which is such a big part of marketing for for quilts and for patterns these days.
1: Yeah. And photography can do so much. Like, I've seen a quilt that is like ho hum and then there's a good photograph of it and it's like boom 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 people want that because of the photograph like it really is. So that's an interesting thing. Yeah.
0: Quilting is such a visual medium and these days particularly within the modern quilting world social media plays so heavily into that. And if Definitely. you don't have a good if you don't have a good Instagram picture people aren't going to want
1: it. It's true. It's true. Which your photos of your postcards are really good. Like, do you feel more confident about your postcard photos?
0: Yeah, those were fun. So for anybody that hasn't seen them, it's literally just me holding it up against the blue wall of my sewing room. Mm -hmm. Postcards are so small. And so that made it really easy. And once I found something I liked, it was easy to do it consistently every time. And so that played a big part of that project as well was those pictures all looked the same. So if you saw it scrolling on your Instagram, you would see like a square against a blue wall and immediately go, Oh, it's one of Sarah's postcards. Let me go look at it. Um, bigger quilts present a much bigger problem.
1: Okay. But that's huge with branding. Like what you touched on there is gold. So for people to be able to look at a photo and recognize it with you and If people can do that with a quilt and you said it's harder with a quilt, but if you can get your design down to a point where people can look at a quilt and say, oh, that's so and so's, you know, that there's, that's really valuable for a business and for a brand to be able to, to make a picture so noticeable, which I am curious if you had to analyze why you think the 100 day project of the pattern of the postcards was successful I'm curious because I have my thoughts of why it was successful but I want to know from you like it grew your Instagram account um what, what why
0: was it so popular so I would love to hear your thoughts but, but um yes I have some thoughts as well number one I think it was very fortuitous timing um I started this particular project uh, just a couple weeks into COVID so like first week of April, 2020, when everything was still up in the air and nobody knew what was going on. And everybody was like, Oh my God, I have to stay at home. Um, And so it was just really good timing. It was a fun little bite-sized project that I could do every day. And then I think other people really enjoyed the idea of both the small project and the idea that I was actually putting these in the mail and sending them to people. Everybody loves to get mail Plus this was a time when we weren't seeing anybody in person. So mail was even more fun. Um, And then I think the fact that they were small finished pieces every day. And so each one was a little bit different. I think there was an element of uh, just people wanting to see what I came up with for that day. Um, And so I think that's the reason that it, that it became so successful and, Like I mentioned earlier, I gained a ton of new Instagram followers from it. Um, Several of them have turned into people I correspond with pretty regularly, so I've made friends out of it. I've sent postcards all around the world, which is really personally fulfilling for me. Um, It's led to uh, me doing some teaching and lecturing as guilds have asked me to come talk about not only my postcards, but also my quilting in general, and so... I had zero idea that any of that was going to come from it when I started. I had done 100-day projects for the previous several years as well that did not you know, resonate with people nearly to the level that the postcards did. I think it was just a confluence of a lot of things at the same time, and it was a little piece of something that made people happy.
1: Yeah, the timing. I hadn't even really thought about that. I'm going to throw this out there. You could totally write a book on the patterns, like writing the patterns and the a postcard fabric postcard book. I'm going to throw that out there. If you haven't thought of it, maybe you already have, but
0: <laughs> I had not a lot of them were improv, but there were definitely some that were patterns, some my patterns, some the patterns of friends. Um, I actually am teaching a postcard workshop at QuiltCon in Phoenix in February. Um, So if anybody's listening and wants to look into that, I would love to have you see you in that class. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've seen the end of postcards. I haven't made any in the last uh, couple months, but I I don't think I'm done with them yet.
1: Good. And I think... uh, I'm on this book topic right now. Like you should totally do this, but I do think it'd be really popular. And I think it'd be cool to teach the improv thing in the book too. Like for me personally, it sounds so easy for people who do improv, but I'm like, walk me through how to do this. Like how does one, it sounds like, well, you just do it. But like, that's very uncomfortable for me. I would love to have someone say, this is how you do improv. You know,
0: (laughs) I would have to put some thought into it to be honest. Um, I'm sure there is a method behind how I do it, but sometimes it does feel very much like I'm just pulling pieces out and going. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll have to put some thought into it.
1: The hardest part is like reconstructing. You know, like how did I do that? Let me like try to reverse engineer that and see how I did that. But um, but I think that the for me, why I thought the fabric postcards were so popular. They're just this beautiful. It's brand new. It's something totally different. We see a lot of beautiful quilts all the time. We don't see a lot of fabric postcards. Not to mention this idea that you're doing one every day. I was completely intrigued
0: by that. Like, no way, she's gonna miss a day. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, my engineering background lends itself very well to 100 day projects, I have that mindset that works very well with, I'm going to pick a thing, and I'm going to do it every day, and I'm not going to miss a day. Um, And so I mentioned, I've done several 100 day projects before, and I've done a couple more since the postcards, something about that format works really well for me. And so that, I can see how that aspect of it, where you know, there's going to be one every day, uh, would have appealed to people as well.
1: So for our listeners, if they're wanting to find you, where's the best, best way to, to find you?
0: Um, probably first on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Saroy, S-A-R-O-Y. And then, uh, you can also visit my website, which is SarahRuiz.com.
1: Okay. I've always wondered how to say our Instagram name. So
0: Saroy. <laughs> I say Saroy. So the background is that I've used that name online for a couple of decades now. It is a combination of Sarah and what used to be my middle name before I got married, which was my grandmother's maiden name. So it's a combination of, of a first name and a last name. Um, it makes no sense to most people these days, but that's where it came from. And I've had it for so long that I haven't been able to let it go yet.
1: You're sticking with it. I like it. Yep. All right. Well, to wrap things up, I've got a few rapid fire questions.
0: Are you ready if I just shoot? I am. I hate picking favorites of things, but I am ready.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, with that in mind, what is your favorite planet?
0: I've got to go with Saturn or the Earth, but Saturn (laughs) is very pretty.
1: (laughs) Can I just say how excited you got when you're like, no, Earth. That was so... (laughs) (laughs) okay what is a book that you love
0: I have read so many books over the years the one that pops into my head is one that I actually just read recently so it's maybe not my all-time favorite but it's a recommendation it was called the invisible life of Addie LaRue I just finished it a couple weeks ago and it's a novel about a a girl who makes a deal with the devil it's it it was good that may sound weird but it was good I I just read that I it was a good one.
1: This is kind of an obvious question. I think, okay, would you go to space if you could?
0: Maybe. Uh, this is a very timely question because it's only within literally the past couple weeks that that going to space has even really been an option for non-career astronauts. Um, I think that, yes, I would. I would want it to be on a rocket or ship that has flown many, many times and is very well proven. I am a fairly risk averse person.
1: Okay. Who is someone you would want to go to lunch with if you could? This could be a person who is dead or alive.
0: So I have two thoughts that immediately come to mind. Uh, Just last week, I was on vacation with my whole family, none of whom live anywhere close to me. And so I would love it if I could go to lunch with them on a more regular basis. But uh, in this more of the spirit of, I think, what this question usually intends, Um, since we've been talking space, I'm thinking like, you know, John Glenn or Neil Armstrong or or Sally Ride, somebody like that. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Um,
1: At what age did you realize you had an engineer mind?
0: So I, I decided I wanted to be an engineer when I was in high school after getting an opportunity to visit the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. That's when I decided I wanted to be an engineer and work for NASA. But going farther back, my dad um, was trained as an engineer. And even though he left engineering when I was still really young, I think he still had that mindset. Um, And he also loves astronomy and the stars. And so I think a lot of that kind of seeped in and was there all along.
1: I really like that. That's really cool. All right. And our last question, what is a favorite food of yours?
0: Dessert. Dessert any kind of dessert (laughs) something with chocolate and raspberries
1: Mm, okay all right so you're more sweet than savory
0: yeah I think so
1: okay nice well thank you so much for being on the craft Your career show I seriously love hearing behind the scenes thank you so much Sarah for being here
0: you're welcome thanks for having me
1: Sarah thank you so much for being on the show this week It was so great to hear from you, to hear your insights and perspectives. And for all of you creative entrepreneurs out there who have another job or have a full-time job, it is possible to also have a creative career on the side. It can be a full-time thing, but it can also be a part-time thing. So I'm really glad that we got to have Sarah on the show. And if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to tune in next week where we have a business coaching call. I'm really excited to share that with you. So I will see you next week on the Craft a Career podcast. Until then, take care.